Hey, hey, hey. I'm going to wait a few moments. I'm going to wait a few moments. Give you all time to connect. I'm gonna wait a few moments, wait a few moments. I see you, Patricia. I see you, Shanice. I got an error message on StreamYard. Welcome back, welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. I see you. Amen, Kara. Amen, guys. Okay. I got an error message on StreamYard, which is what severed the connection on the Facebook. So I just ended it and came back. Um, so my apologies, I don't even know what happened, but God, going to give it one more minute and we're going to continue. My apologies. Okay, let's go. So we're talking about, I passed the test. We're talking about how God allows us and or administers exams to us during the changing seasons of life. And as God's children and students in his loving institution, we take tests, quizzes, and exams. And it's only after successfully completing our course of study, which includes tests and quizzes, we then become teachers who can help and instruct other students to live successful lives. Remember, God administers exams at his discretion on the road of life. His exams and results are crucial to one's life and external destination. He prepares the questions and he chooses the location. And it's only then, after we've passed and taken the test, plural, the quizzes, plural, and the exams, plural, it's only after successfully completing our course of study that then we become teachers who can help and instruct other students to live successful lives. The exam result is crucial to receiving God's best. Therefore, one must be attentive throughout the journey of life. Good morning, Miss Amelda. Because a woman is a helper who is intelligent, 
perspective, trustworthy and brilliant. She is a lifetime student at this learning institute, God's Learning Institute. As a woman journeys through life, God administers exams to ensure that she is equipped, that she is strong, that she is alert and ready for her God-ordained assignment. Let me show you who I'm talking about. Leah. Leah was an amazing woman of faith. Her name means weary. She was the elder of two daughters of a man named Levin. Leah and her younger sister Rachel lived with their father Laban. The first time we meet Leah in the pages of the Bible, she was introduced as a somehow unattractive woman in comparison to her younger sister. She was a caring and compassionate woman with a gentle personality, a noteworthy woman, she was. Leah later became the wife of a man named Jacob. She was given to Jacob as his wife through trickery. Jacob made a marriage proposal to Rachel and afterwards he served their father for seven years as a bride price. He worked for free because he wanted to marry Rachel. In exchange for Rachel, he said, I'll work for you for seven years, then I will take Rachel as my wife. But on the day of the wedding, Leah, the unattracted sister, was given to Jacob unknowingly. According to family tradition, it was unacceptable to allow the younger sister to get married before the older. Evidently, prior to Leah becoming Jacob's wife, she had not received a marriage proposal. So on the day of the wedding at evening, Laban, uh, Leah's dad, gave her to Jacob as his wife instead of Rachel. Despite Laban's description, Jacob agreed to serve seven additional years for Rachel. This man wanted Rachel and he would do anything he had to, including serving Jacob for a total of 14 years. So he said, I'll work seven additional years for Rachel to become my wife. Rachel became Jacob's second wife and he loved Rachel more than he loved Leah. Leah knew that she was un loved yet she loved Jacob and remained loyal to him Leah experienced much humiliation in her marriage she lived with the reputation that she became a wife through imposture she was a fake wife she was a phony wife and she wasn't the wife that Jacob wanted at all but despite the rejection and lack of love, she refused to allow bitterness, hate, and anger to grow within her. So during the years of, their, of her difficult marriage, Leah developed a close relationship with God. 
she discovered the secret to surviving a loveless marriage. Her weary heart found a safe place to rest and unload. She found solace, love, and acceptance in her relationship with God. Leah decided to trust in the God who alone could soothe her aching heart, calm her troubled thoughts, and satisfy the longing of her soul. Chanel, you better be on this call this morning. God saw Leah's plight and blessed her children. Leah conceived and bore six sons and one daughter. During those days, sons were regarded as double blessings from God. And here it is, Leah had had six by a man that did not love her, did not want her, but yet she remained faithful. She remained committed because she knew that God ordained marriages. During those days, remember, sons were regarded as double blessings and she done bore six for this man because from God, because they would continue the family line. Men, boys were, were important because they would continue in the, the, link, the, the legacy of the genealogy of the family. They're carrying out the family name. Leah expected Jacob to love and appreciate her because she had borne him sons. That man was like, I don't love you, girl. I don't even want you. I, I worked seven years to get your, your sister, you know, the cute one. But your dad tricked me and said for me to take you. And so then I said, I worked for an additional seven years to get the one who I had my eye on all the time. You talking about humiliated. You talking about this little so but despite the fact that she had had six, six sons and was in high expectation jacob's love for rachel increased during her childbearing years leah's love and trust in god deepened as she experienced mixed emotions her feelings are expressed in the name she gave her sons, names that revealed her thoughts, her expectations, and her relationships with God. Despite the rejection she experienced in her marriage, Leah longed for Jacob's attention and affection. You can't tell me that some of y'all, right, have been longing for your husband's attention and affection. Just like most women, she was willing to do whatever was necessary to prove her love to Jacob. The Bible records a time when Leah purchased a night of Jacob's affection from Rachel. When Jacob came out of the field in the evening, Leah went out to meet him and said, you must come into me for I have surely hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. In the course of time, Leah finally accepted that she was second place 
in Jacob's heart. She discovered she was first place in God's heart. She then rested in God's love. Leah was resolved to praise God. And she conceived and bore a son and said, now I will praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah. Then she stopped bearing. After a few years, God decided that it was time for Jacob and his family to return home. As they journeyed back to Jacob's hometown, Rachel died in childbirth. You know, the cute sister. And she died on an open road as they were traveling back to stay with Jacob's family. The family mourned and then they buried her on the road to Bethlehem. Leah also mourned for Rachel because it was her sister. She loved her sister. She mourned the loss of Rachel. She did not rejoice over the death. Leah became Jacob's only wife at that point and a mother to their children, including Rachel's two sons. Sound like bonus kids to me. Leah was indeed a woman of substance with extraordinary inner beauty. God says, I'm, I'm not looking at your outward. I'm concerned about what's on the inside of you. I could care less if you are a 24, 36, 24, but what are you wearing on the inside of you? Her inner beauty was extraordinary despite the challenges she encountered. God had a unique plan for Leah's life. She was chosen uh, to be the mother of Jacob's six sons, positioned, appointed, and anointed to be Jacob's wife and the mother of his six sons, who later became heads of six of the 12 tribes of God's chosen people, the Israelites. At the end of Leah's life, she was buried in Jacob's family's gravesite, where his ancestors and their wives were buried. At the end of Jacob's life, on his deathbed in Egypt, this boy requested to be taken home to his family burial ground to be buried beside Leah. He could have requested to be buried alongside Rachel, but instead he specifically instructed them to bury him next to Leah. In Genesis 49, 29 through 31, Jacob instructs his son, his sons. Then he charged them and said to them, I am to be gathered to my people. Bear me with my fathers in the cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. Did the boy just claim her as his wife? Love is strong. Leah's love spoke on her behalf, 
even after her death. Leah was an amazing woman of faith. So let me ask you, would you continue to love and respect Jacob despite the hurt and humiliation he caused or he continued to give you and that you experienced? Would you care for Rachel's children after death? Would, would you wait for God's time and receive God's best? And would your life leave a lasting impression on Jacob that would cause him to acknowledge her as his wife? We heard the story. By Letitia when she was talking about the memorial services that she went to. The celebration of life where the couple had been married for years. And after the pastor was done with the eulogy, he called the wife up and he asked the wife her vows. Did you love, honor and cherish your husband? Yes. Did you Take care of him. In, did you love him in sickness and in health? Yes. In good times and bad times? Yes. When the money was right and when it wasn't? Yes. And then he turns to her and said, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. You passed the test. Stay with me. Then the Lord God made a woman from rib. He had taken out of the man and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. For she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his, his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. I was once married to the father of my sons. We were high school sweethearts and dated from my ninth grade year through high school and into adulthood. We married young. I was 23 and he was 25. Although married, we still wanted to live like single people. It wasn't working. I told myself I didn't want to see the age of 30 unhappy. So I filed for divorce on my 30th birthday. I was just tired of trying to make it work. It's September of 2001. And I had been a divorced single mother of four boys ages 15, 12, 9, and 6 for three years. At the start of the school year, I went to a sporting goods store to pick up a football jersey for one of my nephews. There I saw a friend of my oldest nephew. I said hello, and I heard someone whisper, who's that? 
My nephew's friend told the man, his father, who I was. As I continued through the store, we stumbled across one another again, and he approached me and introduced himself. He told me his first name, last name, and his marital status, divorced. After our initial meeting, we saw each other almost every Friday at the football games. We would speak, but I was in a relationship at the time and it didn't go any further. It wasn't until six months later that we connected and started talking on the phone for extended periods of time. He was trying to fill me out and I was doing the same. I had been married and in an extended relationship that went nowhere and I wasn't prepared to do the same thing all over again. After a few weeks of talking on the phone, we decided we'd go on a date. Prior to our first date alone, he took the boys and I to see a movie. Although he slept through the movie, I was impressed by the fact that he wanted to take them and made an effort to do so. The following night, he picked me up and upon arrival, presented me with perfume, slippers, and a stuffed animal. He was truly trying to rack up points. After our first date, we were inseparable. The long phone conversations continued and we were always together. Most of the time, the kids were included. He was all man and instantly wanted to change the way I, as a single mom, was running things in my home. I was used to coming home from work and doing what was necessary for my children, checking homework, cooking, etc. He felt I was overextending myself, that my sons were old enough to do more than they were doing. Although I heard him say these things, I never really took them to mean anything more than mere words. I didn't see any warning signs initially because I was all in my feelings. I was in love. We were for the most part good together, so I thought. We were even attending church together. I just knew he was the one for me. God had me reading books that I wasn't sure why I was reading at the time. One particular book I read was The Lady, Her Lover, and Her Lord by Bishop T.D. Jakes, which had been purchased for me. The person who bought it told me that it would allow me to understand who I was as a woman and to get a better understanding of what I was looking for in a relationship as it related to God. I realize now that God was preparing me for what was to come. During our courtship, I told him that he had six months to decide whether I was marriage material or not, because I was not going to give up another two, three, or four years of my life as girlfriend. After digesting, discussing, and figuring some things out, we set a date for 2004. But during the planning, we called off the wedding. We felt that we needed to work through some things individually as well as together so that we could be on the same page. After continued talks, we decided to move forward and get married. We had marital counseling through our church 
and thought we were being responsible by doing so and talking through situations. Little did we know the things we needed to talk through we hadn't even thought to discuss. July 3rd, 2004 was a hot day. The temperature was about 102 degrees and we had gathered approximately 125 friends to witness our vows before God. We had a wonderful celebration and were in honeymoon countdown. Our family then consisted of three of my four sons, myself and my husband, as my oldest had graduated from high school and decided to stay with his grandmother. The time had come for us to figure out how to live under one roof in harmony as a blended family. We had never spent more than a couple of nights under the same roof. Almost immediately, the arguments and quarrels began. They were mostly because of my sons, so I thought. In hindsight, it was really because we were trying to figure out the how of our new life together. I had been the only voice my sons had heard in seven years and I wasn't about to let some man, husband or not, be the voice or of discipline to my sons. I was not pleased with his tone when he spoke to them. <clears throat> to me, he sounded unnecessarily harsh. We would literally go at it. While the altercations were never physical, the verbal fights were long and strong. We argued about any and everything to the point there that we regularly spoke of divorce. I prayed and prayed some more for God to fix him. It, us, change him, I prayed. We sought counseling from our new pastor, but we still wanted a divorce. I prayed some more, but it was always for God to do this or that to him, not me. I didn't need to be changed. I was perfect. We went back to counseling and still wanted a divorce. It seemed like nothing was working. We did have some good days, but we had a bunch of bad days. And the bad days outweighed the good. I was ready to do whatever had to be done to get some peace. One day he said, we need to go talk with the pastor. I spoke up and said, I am not going to counseling anymore. I am done with that. We're going to have to make it work or say goodbye but something clicked on the inside of me. And it was as if at that very moment, God gave me a new way to fight. I had been fighting with words, but the new way to fight was in prayer on my knees. I realized he was not my child. He was my husband and that I didn't create him. So I couldn't change him. God had to do it. Something broke in both of us, but more importantly, in me. 
I had to tell myself over and over that he was not going to hurt my son, but was going to raise them to be men. I had to let go of the fear that was trying to consume me. When I moved myself out of the way and kicked fear to the curb, God was able to do what he had been trying to do all the time, turn what was a bad situation into a God situation. Psalms 138 and eight says from the New King James Version, the Lord will perfect that which concerns me. Your mercy, O Lord, endures forever. Do not forsake the works of your hands. And as the scripture proclaims, God did begin to work on us. Our verbal wars turned into spiritual wars and prayers, at least on my part. Understand this didn't happen overnight, at least on, uh, and this did not happen overnight. And it wasn't as if I hadn't been praying the whole time. But the problem was I was praying incorrectly. I was praying and asking God to fix, change, and correct my husband when I should have been asking him to fix change and correct me to create in me a clean heart and to re renew a right spirit within me. It was time for me to change my prayers and begin to speak life into my marriage and not death. In prayer, God reminded me that I, the wife, am called to be my husband's helpmeet. And the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him, I recall writing in my Bible that I wanted my marriage to be whole, unbroken, and undamaged. The only way wholeness was going to take place in my marriage was that I had to get out of the way and let God work. I began to find scriptures about faith, hope, strength, the role of a wife, the role of a husband. Some of my go-tos were Hebrews 11 and 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting all your cares upon him for he cares for you. Proverbs 3 and 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Romans 15 and 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 5 and 22, wives be subject to your own husband as to the Lord. And 1 Peter 3 and 1, in the same way, you wives be submissive to your own husband so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. In addition to praying the stu and studying the scripture, I began to read books about marriage and being a wife. The Power of a Praying Wife by Stormy O'Martian was my all-time go-to it taught me how to pray for myself, my husband, and my marriage. It taught me how to pray unselfishly 
God put a fire inside me and intercession was birthed in me for my husband. I began to pray on his behalf. My praying for my husband did not change my position in the marriage to one greater than his. It wasn't a spell that I could cast to allow me to gain control over him. Praying for my husband was and is my opportunity to cast all my cares onto God, the Father, the one that created him and knows all about him and our struggles. The author of The Power of a Praying Wife says it best when she explains that praying or interceding for your husband or any other person is laying down all claim to power in and of yourself and relying on God's power to transform you, your husband, your circumstances, and your marriage. I hear you. My husband isn't saying, well, guess what? The word of God says, for the unbelieving husband has been sanctified through the wife. This means your own faith sanctifies the marriage. Marriage is not just for the believers, but also for the unbelievers. Therefore, it means something to God. Divorce is not an option. If your unbelieving husband is a good unbeliever, meaning there are no other reasons or grounds for divorce, you are the salt, the ingredient, the preserving agent, the seasoning in your marriage. Don't lose sight of who God has called you to be. You are strong and through God, you have the power to speak those things that be not as though they were. You have the power and authority to tear down every proud idea that raises itself and makes that raises itself against the knowledge of God and to capture every thought and make it give up. You have the power to speak a thing and it shall be established. Be the thermostat in your home. Be the device the atmosphere changer that automatically regulates temperature or that activates a device, your husband, when the temperature gets too hot or reaches a certain point, depression, anger, frustration. Does it need to be hotter? Does it need to be cooler? Be quick to listen and slow to speak and think before you respond. God gave us one mouth and two ears for a reason. You have the authority to set the atmosphere and temperature in your marriage, home, and in your children. This was a hard lesson for me. I had to learn that life and death was in the power of my tongue. I had to learn to pray God's word, believe my prayers, and believe that God heard me and that help was on the way. We all must trust God enough to, to assume the position of submission. In my own marriage, I define submission as accepting my husband's vision for our family and helping to help carry it out by supporting and encouraging him even when I don't agree with it. 
for him. Or when he's not in his rightful position within the marriage and home. Or when he's not in his rightful position within the marriage and home. I define submission as accepting my husband's vision for our family and helping to help carry it out by supporting and encouraging him even when I don't agree with him or when he's not in his rightful position within the marriage and home. That's not my problem. It's God's. I am excited and blessed to say that today we are in a great space in our marriage. We're empty nesters and we enjoy spending quality time with one another. God has really grown us up individually and collectively as a couple. Had it not been for God's grace and mercy, I'm not sure our marriage would have stood the test of time. God kept us. And because of that, I am able to share this testimony with you. I passed the test. I passed the test. Learn to cry out to God for your marriage and your husband. God can heal all wounds, no matter how deep or infected they are. And he can renew and restore your marriage. God ordained marriage. And because he did what God has joined together, let no one separate. Not your children, not your mama, not your daddy, not your sister, not your brother, not any other woman or any other man. No one. Your marriage consists of three people. You, your husband, and God. Learn to fight on your knees, wives. Learn to fight in the spirit. Learn to call Jesus before you call someone else knowing that God said he perfect the very thing that concerns you. Don't be moved by what you see in the natural. Don't be moved by what you hear coming out of his mouth or that of others. Only be moved by the word of God. God said that you are an overcomer and that you can do all things through Christ that strengthens you. He said that you are above only and not beneath. You are a winner and not a loser. How you see yourself is important and will help to change your mindset. See yourself happy. See yourself in your marriage that lasts until death. See your husband as the man that God has called and created him to be. Speak well of him. Encourage him. Love him. Matter of fact, love the hell out of him. Be wrong just because it's the right thing to do sometimes. Your marriage is worth the effort. It is a love worth fighting for. In closing, 
it is my, de my desire that we as wives know that we have more power on our knees in prayer than we do through verbal attacks on our husbands. Don't give up on your marriage. Stay the course for the race is not given to the swift or to the strong, but to the one who endures to the end. You have the endurance to finish and you have the endurance to get to the finish line. You may become distracted from your path, but remember to go back to your GPS, your godly positioning system and wait for him to recalculate the route you must travel to, to get to unity. Remember that marriage is honorable to all and keep God at the center of your marriage. God is able. So make love, not war, unless on your knees in prayer. Become a wife who wars in the spirit and not in the physical. I pray that my testimony and the testimony of Leah spoke to your hearts on this morning and has given you a glimpse of hope where there was none, that it encouraged you to fight on And that reminds you that you're not fighting alone. It's always you plus three. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Listen, wives who war was not birthed just because it was birthed out of the fight to save what God had ordained. But how I allowed my flesh to take over and to consider and, and to remain. We wouldn't be here. There would be no wives who war. It would be a wife who left. A wife who gave up and quit and threw in the towel, doubted God and said, I can't do it anymore. But because I trust God and because I love God and because I know that this is what he had called me to, I had to, I had to give up. I had to give up myself and die so that God could remake me. So that he could do a perfect work on the inside of me, not Lonnie. But dying to myself was the best decision I could have ever made. Was it hard? Yes. Is it still hard? Yes. But likewise is the road to being 
a God lover. Y'all remember the song? Nobody told you that the road would be easy, but I've come too far to give up now. Ain't no turning back. No turning back. We will celebrate 19 years on July the 3rd. And it's only because of God's grace and his mercy that we arrived at this place. I owe everything to him. everything to him. Marriage is not for the faint of heart. But once you sign up, you don't get to undo it because you're lazy and you don't want to fight. So may the grace of God keep you. May the blood cover you. And may the power of the Holy Ghost work on the inside of you. Have an amazing Tuesday. It's a triumphant Tuesday because I overcome the enemy that was trying to take us out. I am victorious. And I've passed the test. You gotta pass the test. Whatever test you're in the midst of, it's yours on purpose for purpose. God doesn't make mistakes, Chanel. Pass the test, girl. Do the work. Don't be lazy and give up and quit. Do the work. I love you all. Have an amazing day. Join us tomorrow as Serena is waiting and wailing while we wait Wednesday. Love you guys.